Good morning. We uh, we're in Luke four today, and um, it's a it's a fascinating passage, but it's difficult. Um, there's there's always with Luke with all the Gospels. There's always more to the story. We talked about that a little bit last week, and I'm going to do my best today to communicate to you not only what Jesus did when he interacted with the devil and his temptations, but why he chose the scriptures he chose to counter those temptations and how the devil himself perverted scripture. And he he knows his scripture, how he perverted scripture to try to tempt Jesus in a different way. So the reason the title of this message is two and one, it's it's, there's two, two times when the enemy is kind of tempting Jesus He's accusing him in a way. He's, he's saying, if you're the son of God, then. And there's another time when he's just, at, he's just trying to get him to fall. He's just trying to get him to mess up. Some things to know about this passage, uh, about Luke 4. Um, this thing that we have online called Next, uh, Going Beyond Sunday. That study guide that's, that, that's put together is for all of chapter 4. It's not just for the passage that we're preaching on a given Sunday. So what we're encouraging you all to do is to read every chapter of the Gospel of Luke between now and the Sunday after Easter. Uh, It's just good to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. We'll find out through this message why it's important that we know God's will and we uh, we know God's word and we know it in context. Uh, You've heard me say this before. I'm quoting Dan Walcott when I say this, but um, a text out of context is a pretext for trouble. And we'll show you how the devil takes something out of context and doesn't, doesn't show the whole thing to try to pervert what God's will is, even in the life of Jesus. So last week we talked about John the baptizer and that the word of the Lord came to John. Reminded you last week that, that uh, until Jesus was walking the planet, the Holy Spirit of God, when the word of God came to a came to a prophet. He did, it didn't dwell within him. It just kind of showed up and spoke to, to the prophet, and the prophet was to speak those words to God's people that day. Um, John the baptizer, we're told that the word of the Lord came to him, and then he spoke. So the word of the Lord is the second person of the Trinity, okay? And the word, and according to the gospel, according to John, um, the word became flesh in Jesus, okay? So what 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 created the universe, what sustains all things, the thing that speaks to you in the morning and says, awaken, the thing that says, live. Every day, you wake up and you're alive because the word of the Lord goes out. It's perpetually going out for us, from our, for us, to us, through us. So, and I know it's kind of hard, it's kind of ethereal from the Western mindset to believe, to think that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Word, and God the one who dwells within us. But there's something that, that stated here that I want you to see because we, we, we know in the Old Testament that the place of God, the residence of God, from the time that, that God brought the, the Israelites out of Egypt and uh, he gave them the commandments, that covenant with his people, God told Moses, you know, create this tabernacle, this tent, this, and, and, and create this Ark of the Covenant where you hold the Ten Commandments. But the presence of God on the earth to the Jewish people from, from, all the, from that point forward was in the Ark of the Covenant. And that wandered around in the desert with the people of God, led the people of God for 40 years. But then after a while, when Solomon built the temple, the Holy of Holies, the place where God resided, was in the Holy of Holies, in this Ark. That's where the Holy Spirit... now. The Holy Spirit, God is omnipresent, so the Holy Spirit of God is everywhere. But God's resonance on earth until this point, until this verse, 
was in the Holy of Holies in the Ark of the Covenant. But I want you to see what Luke says happens right after Jesus is baptized and right after he goes through the genealogy of Jesus, tracing him not back to Abraham, the father of the faith, but all the way back to Adam, the first man, the man who was supposed to do things right, the man who gave in to temptation and blew everything. Jesus is going to be tempted. And if he remains faithful and doesn't give in to those temptations, the process of setting everything right begins. But what happens right here, right after he's been baptized and anointed by God, when God, the Ruach, the Holy Spirit of God, descends on him in bodily form and says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. What it tells us right here is that no longer is the Holy Spirit of God residing somewhere else, but it's residing in the person of Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, who is the word of God. So of, of, of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have the Son present in flesh, and the spirit is now dwelling within. So the resonance, the place of God on the planet for these three years when Jesus is walking around the earth is in the person of Jesus. Not saying it's nowhere else, but if you want to know where God lives in those three years, he lives in the person of Jesus. And it starts off like this. I'm going to read this passage all the way through. We'll come back and we'll talk about each of those temptations and the scriptures that go with those, the way Jesus resisted the devil. Jesus, full of, not the word of the Lord came upon him, not the spirit of the Lord was with, but full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. Luke, master of understatement. He ate nothing for 40 days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. For it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord our God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, the devil is quoting God's word. And Jesus is God's word, by the way. You know, the second person of the Trinity. He's the word of God. And sometimes we think when we, when we read the scriptures and we read the gospels, we go, well, Jesus didn't talk much about this or this or this or this. We forget that he was the, he was the author of all of scripture. Everything that God has said from the beginning of time and still today has all been authored by, spoken by, and sent out by the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who's now we know as Jesus, but the second person of the Trinity. So everything that was written, he wrote And the devil is trying to pervert his own verbiage to get him to mess up. He says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, I know I'm supposed to read this whole thing in the comment. I just... Have you ever had someone speak for you or claim that you said something that you didn't say? I mean, 
wouldn't you, don't you think he'd have that attitude when he's like, for it is written, it says, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that Jesus, a lot of times we think of him as wimpy. You know, British accent, blue eyes, blessed are the cheesemakers. But this guy, I mean, 40 days, and he's been, and it doesn't say that the, these are the only three things the devil tempted him with. For 40 days, he was tempted daily. These are the three that are highlighted for us. Don't you think that after 40 days, you're like, it's it. I, I have to believe that Jesus is like, I'm done with you. Away from me, Satan. But he, say, he goes, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And by the way, he's coming back. Later on in this chapter, Jesus confronts evil spirits. And the one thing I want you to remember when you read through the gospel of Luke, any of the gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, John's just, he just organized it a little bit differently. But the, the, the beings that get who Jesus is automatically and get it right every time are the demons. They never miss it. They know exactly who he is. They try, to, they try to tempt him. They try to, to, to get others to, they try to possess others and to keep them away from him. They try to resist him, but they can't. When Jesus tells them to go, they go. But they, when they confess, when they speak to Jesus, they know who he is and they get it right every time. If you want to know who the devil thinks the son of God is, listen to his minions because they're right every time. They don't want you to follow him. In fact, they'll try to do anything they can to pull you away from him, but they know who he is and they tremble. So let's go back at, at each of these, each of these temptations. Jesus, first of all, 40 days. Now, over the years, I've developed the spiritual discipline of fasting more so in the last six months than ever before in my life. But my longest fast I've had with water only is 60 and a half hours. He went 40 days. Now, I've, I've read about people that have gone 40 days with water only. There's one guy, the world record that we know of for fasting is, I think, 388 days with nothing but a multivitamin and water every day under doctor supervision. 388 days, okay. But Jesus, 40 days, and he was hungry. Now, I'm told by those who are experts in fasting that after two, three, maybe four days, the sensation of hunger goes away. But your tummy still rumbles. And have you ever gotten hangry? You imagine after 40 days walking neck, side by side with the devil himself? All, he's just harassing all the time. What about this? 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 He's the devil. He's not trying to get you. Wow, I should spit. Those of you online that have a close-up, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Frothing at the mouth, probably like the devil. Now, and I'm sure he's kind of dressed up all charming and everything. And, and, and he's, he tries one tactic, and then he tries another, and then he tries another, and then he tries another. He's just a perpetual harassment. If I get hangry after a couple of 12 hours of not eating, or sometimes your blood sugar drops a little bit, and your, your brain's kind of fuzzy. Jesus is 100% God, but he is 100% man. He is completely human. So all the things that you would feel as you walk through the Negev, uh, an arid, rocky, mountainous terrain with nothing but some sips of water for 40 days, everything that you would feel, he felt. Everything that you would think, he thought. But you don't have the devil himself walking next to you, harassing, accusing, and tempting. 
So these three that were told specifically, Jesus answers every one of them. He goes back to the book of Deuteronomy when he resists this temptation. And back to the book of Deuteronomy, if you know when that was written, it's when they're finishing up their time wandering around in the desert. God reminds them of everything that he's done for them. He reminds them of what he's called them to be and he tells them why he let them wander the desert. Why he let them, why he tested them. Because he wanted them to know what was in their heart. So if we look at these temptations, we see the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And I don't know when this happened, if it was the 40th day, if it was the 20th day, if it was the 10th day. Think about how easy that would be for the creator of the universe. And I don't know how the devil did it. It doesn't say. It says this stone. So I can just see him. Hey, Jesus, hold on a sec. I just heard your tummy rumble. Winnie the Pooh. Rumbly in your tumbly. Come on. You're the son of God. Come on. Just take it. Actually, just touch it. No, no. Just speak it. Be bread. Just, just for now, just a little bit. Just, just tell it to turn, and then just take it from me. And you'll be all better. It's not going to hurt anybody. You actually need it because you're starving. Now, I want you to see the contrast between that and Adam's temptation. Adam had everything. He lived in paradise. He had a walking, talking, knowing relationship. Not walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with the God of the universe. God would come visit him and take a walk with him in the, in the cool of the day. Every plant, every animal, everything was for him. Purest water you've ever had, no pollution, no greenhouse gases, nothing. Everything was as God intended it. And Adam could walk along, grapes, figs. I don't know if he had bread, but there was, God said, look, you can, anything you want, name all the animals, eat all the, do whatever you want to do. Just don't, not this one, just not this one. So Adam had plenty and he wanted more. Jesus, who's trying to set right everything that Adam did wrong, and the genealogy traces him all the way back to Adam. So Jesus, and Paul will speak to this too, but Jesus is the second Adam. Everything that Adam messed up by the devil tempting him, Jesus needs to make right. And it tells us that the Spirit of God was in him. He was full of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit led him into and throughout the desert while the enemy was tempting him. So Jesus is in want. He's starving. Forty days with sips of water and nothing else. And all he has to do is speak. And bread, or stone becomes bread. Adam had everything he needed and he wanted more. Jesus has nothing that he needs. He's actually in need. And he chose to say, man does not live on bread alone. And he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 3. And I want to see, I'm going to read that in context for you. Because the devil knows the scriptures. And he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to tempt Jesus. But every Hebrew hearer of this particular resistance of temptation goes back to this verse, but he goes back to the context of it. This is in uh, Deuteronomy chapter eight. It says, be careful. This is God talking to his people. Be careful to, to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. God is gonna be faithful. 
Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart and whether or not you would obey his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your, nor your fathers had known, to teach you that, the, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out or comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus quotes one little piece of that. But the devil knows, Jesus knows, and all the original hearers know exactly what he's saying. And why did God allow the people to wander around in the desert? Why did he allow them or cause them to be hungry to test their hearts and to see, will they be faithful to the commands that God has given them? Will they love God before they desire for themselves? So what is Satan, the devil himself, tempting Jesus? Come on, just, just touch it. Just speak it. In fact, here, I'll hand you the stone. You just go ahead. If it touches your skin it will turn to bread. And what does Jesus say? I don't live on bread alone. The devil wanted Jesus' heart because that's what Deuteronomy tells us. Why we're hungry? Why does God? And by the way, manna, that God provided manna, you know what that word means? What is it? That's what the word means. What is it? So when people got manna, I don't know if God gave it a name, but they'd get it and they go, what is it? For 40 years, they kept asking, what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it that's providing for them? The word of the Lord. Because that manna, that what is it, doesn't show up unless God speaks it and makes it so. Temptation number two, this isn't one that's specific about if you're the son of God, but listen to that the devil led him to a high place and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and, and I can give it to anyone that I want to. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Now, again, this is the devil himself perverting what's true. Yes, he's called the prince, of, the prince of the earth. Yes, he was cast out of heaven. And yes, he was given reign to influence the world. Um, there's some weird theological discussions that we could have about that. But he thinks, though, that, that his influence over the kingdoms of the world are his to keep. Or at least he's pretending that they're his to keep. He knows that Jesus, his very presence, is a threat to, his, to, to the devil's power and authority and dominion. See, he thinks he can influence people. He thinks that he can pull people's hearts and minds away from God himself. By doing this, every single God that people think they worship, everything that people bend their will to is actually demonic. It's either self-centered and sinful or it's something. So when people worship another God other than the most high God, the one true God, the God of gods, the only God, the one true God, Anything less than that is demonic. And so the enemy of God tries to tempt people by perverting the idea of God and gets them to worship something lesser than. And so all the kingdoms and all the wars and all the ways that he's tried to influence humanity, he thinks that he gets to, he gets to continue to do that and he gets to, that the earth is his, that is his to rule. 
And then Jesus shows up and the devil's scared that Jesus is going to come and set right what's been made wrong and take away his authority. And so he falsely claims that this is all mine. It's been given to me. I can give it to whoever I want. All you got to do is... Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, quoting Deuteronomy. And to put this in a little bit of context, it says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, when you receive grace, getting what you don't deserve, receiving things you did not build, you did not create, that when you get grace, remember who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery, fear the Lord your God, worship him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for God, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. If, if you decide to bend your will to anything less than God, if you settle for something other than the most high God. So what is Satan tempting Jesus into doing here when he says, all you have to do is worship me and I'll give you all this. He's asking him to take a shortcut to, say, to, to get it the easy way, but it's not easy because it will cost everything. He wants his will. And so that you know how the devil behaves, he does not ask permission he will impose himself on you. God will never force his will upon you. He waits for you to, to act, to receive, to ask. He, before he forgives, he, he wants you to, for, to ask for it. When you confess, he waits. He does not impose. He does not make you do anything. He allows you to have free will. The enemy of God is exactly the opposite. He doesn't have the authority to impose his will on Jesus, but he is tempting Jesus to impose Jesus' human will over the Father's. And if Jesus bends his will, if he bends his knee, if he worships the enemy of God, you and I end up in hell, both on earth and after earth. The third temptation <laughs> bothers me so much that he uses scripture. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point. By the way, that's the royal porch, southeast corner of the, of the temple. It, it, it sits on top of a cliff that looks over the, he, the, the Kidron Valley, which is about 450, it'd be about a 450 foot drop. Takes him up there and he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands and so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus says, do not, it's, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, here, you got to hear this. He, miss, he, he quotes the scriptures accurately, but he leaves some things out conveniently. And he does not, because he's the devil, he does not know what God's desire, what God's will is. Why did God promise such a thing in a psalm? Well, Jesus 
When he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test, that's Deuteronomy chapter 6. says, do not test the Lord your God as you did in, in Massa. Be, uh, be sure to keep the commands of the Lord, uh, the Lord your God, and the stipulations that he decrees that he has given upon you. But the devil quotes Psalm 91. It reads like this. this is, I'm going to give you a little bit more context. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near, near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now here's some things it says about the enemy of God. Watch this. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And this is why God would save It says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. He will be, uh, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The enemy is saying, test, test the Lord. Just, you're right here, 450 feet. Step off. Imagine how cool that would be, by the way. If Jesus stepped off. Now, we, there's all kinds of special effects now. Uh, but this is 2,000 years ago. Imagine if he stepped off and he just went like, like uh, Wile E. Coyote. For those of you old enough. And he runs off the cliff and he sits there for a minute. And then he goes, uh-oh. If, Je- if Jesus stepped off and the devil's looking at him. And he just slowly, slowly, slowly. Or... Terminal velocity until right at the last minute. I can't do the superhero pose, but every one of them, when they, when they land from flying, it's like, you know, if Jesus, right at the last minute, if he just, and he had that cool little Superman, Superman pose when he lands, people, people around that area all the time, they'd see it. How cool would that be if you saw a guy jump off a cliff 450 feet down and stop right at the last second and just ease down and go, yeah, son of God. What he's asking him to do is to call God on his word, even though it would communicate it. It says, because he loves me, because he acknowledges me, because he, he, he calls out my name, because he honors me. Dishonoring God by obeying a command to not test him would say that God, the very thing would God, he wouldn't rescue because you're not doing the very thing he says that he would rescue because you're doing. I know that didn't make any sense, but it did. You play it back online. It makes sense. The devil is trying to get Jesus to be a traveling carnival of parlor tricks and magic tricks. If he did that and God did rescue him with his angels, the only thing people are after, they'll follow him, but the only thing they're after is, I want to see God do something cool. I want, I, I want, I want to get the Holy Spirit shivers. I want to think, wow, look at how powerful my God is that he can defy gravity. When Jesus isn't concerned about that, He's concerned about setting everything that's wrong right. He's concerned about taking sin that's going to send people to hell and redeeming people from it. Taking their sin, not them, but taking their sin to hell and leaving it there where it belongs. He's not going to take the easy way out. He's not going to take the shortcut. He's not going to ask God to do um, parlor tricks. That's not who God is. And that's not what we should want God to be. But sometimes we fall into that temptation. We want God to just make our lives easier. We want it to be that everyone sees how cool our God is when God's not concerned about being cool. God is concerned about saving souls, growing disciples, and setting 
wrong or right what's been made wrong. And the devil wants to pervert that, wants to take it and move it and tweak it just enough that we want less than the whole. That we're less faithful. That we think that God, God is here to make my life easier. No, he's not. He's not. We think he is, but he's not. He's here to make us holy. He's here to make us faithful. And I'm going to ask you a question that I used to ask my son when he was growing up. When is the right way ever the easy way? See, God calls us to be in hard situations. God calls us to walk through difficult things. But when, if you're, if you're faced with a decision, almost any decision, barring pizza delivery, okay? If pizza delivery, the easy way to get there is the right way to get there. Other than that ladder life, anything of consequence, folks, when you're given a, a choice, you're almost always given a choice between something easy and something right. And the easy way, if it's not right, that makes it wrong. The hard way is the right way. And sometimes we forget that God is calling us to a wonderful life, but it's a hard calling. So here's my questions. The devil wanted Jesus heart. He wanted Jesus' will, and he wanted to pervert what God wants by turning it into magic tricks. Two of them are, if you're the son of God, one is just trying to get him to stumble. Who has your heart? Really? Who has your will? Really? And do you see God as, as, as the eternal being whose job is to make your life cooler or easier? See, these passages from Temptation 1 and 2, every Hebrew hearer knows that that's the, that's the, that's the chapter of the Shema. It's the thing that every Jewish person memorized. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And then it follows, it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Father, Son, and Spirit. And then later, just, just a few verses down, it says that keep the commands. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have and love your neighbor, or excuse me, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And then he goes on and says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, soul. Those are the temptations, folks. Jesus is asking for his heart, his mind, his devotion to God. And that's the same thing he does with you every time he tempts you. You ever had these thoughts? If God really loved you, then why dot, dot, dot? If you're really loved by God, then why would he allow dot, dot, dot? If you really loved God, you wouldn't have done dot, dot, dot. He's insidious. And he'll use scripture against you. He'll tweak and pervert things. Judas went and hanged himself. Go ye and do likewise. God would never encourage someone to take their own lives. But somehow, if we take things out of context, if we, if we don't know our scriptures, if we don't devote ourselves to it, if we don't write them on our foreheads and on our arms and on our doorposts, if we're not devouring his word, knowing his word, then we're susceptible to little tweaks, to little perversions that tell us that we're supposed to settle for something less than all that is God. 
He wants to destroy you by taking your heart, taking your will, and turning God into something God is not. Don't let him do it. Don't ever let him do it. Know that God knows you. Know that God loves you. Know that God is calling you to something more difficult than you could ever imagine, but more glorious than you could ever conceive. Please understand that Jesus was tempted in a way that you will never be. You'll be tempted likewise in similar ways, but never probably by the devil himself after 40 days of fasting. But know that God came to do it because the one, the one man who was supposed to do it right did it wrong. He said, not, my, or not your will, but mine be done. Jesus, in every circumstance, not just in the Garden of Gethsemane, but right here at the beginning of his ministry, he says, Father, not my will, but yours. Not my human will, but your divine will be done. That is what he calls us to. He calls us to be in situations where we make the hard decisions. And I'm going to give you one last little thing. I'll close it off. I was going to save this for the end of the, of, the, of the whole service, but I'll just leave it here. What harm would have come if Jesus would have turned stone to bread? What was he going to hurt? You and me. We're doomed if he doesn't make right everything that's wrong, if he doesn't reverse the, temp, the, the giving into temptation of Adam. But what, but what about you when you're tempted Especially those private sins, those things that nobody hears about, the things that we hear on the news. Well, it doesn't harm anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody else. What, what business is it of yours? It's none of my business, but it is God's. What harm comes from those little things? Let's just use an example. If I were sitting with a bunch of friends of mine, I meet with some guys on, on Monday nights, trying to be better husbands, better fathers, all that kind of stuff, but... If one guy started talking negatively about his wife, the wife, I always hate that term, the wife, the wife made me, the wife, the wife. If some guy starts talking about the wife and the ball and chain and how she doesn't understand and how she's always nagging him and all that kind of stuff, and then I, I'm listening to it and I go, you know, Lynn kind of gets like that too. And I start going down that road. Yeah, people are laughing because they know Lynn. It's not her. But if I participate in that, it's not glorifying to God, but who's it going to harm? You know? It harms my wife, and it harms me, and it harms my children, and it'll harm you. Because the next time I come and I see her, having had and spoken those negative things into existence, I see her differently. I'm now more critical than thankful. And if I don't treat her well, other people hear about it and see it, and then and it, it just bleeds out. Those little things matter. So when you're given an opportunity to bless instead of gossip— when you're given an opportunity, when you're given a choice to make, to just doing the easy thing to get a laugh or to speak the truth, when you say the easy thing to get a laugh at someone else's expense or if it changes your mind about God or someone else, it matters. It matters. If Jesus would have changed his mind about the Father just a little bit, we're all doomed. So I encourage you, I implore you to see that Christ was tempted not so he could overcome, he's God, but that so that you would see that you can overcome every temptation, any temptation, all temptation. Will we mess up? Yeah. Will we be tempted? Yeah. But is every temptation able to be withstood? Yeah. With what? The heart, the will, and the mind of God. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And so are you.
Let's pray. Lord, it's hard to pray a thank, a prayer of thanksgiving that you were tempted, but I'm going to do it anyway. Thank you for starving. Thank you for suffering. Thank you for enduring. And thank you for withstanding the temptation. Because you show us that in all that you are as a human man, that you can withstand, that you can put the devil in his place, and that you can choose the Father's will over your own human will. Help us be a people that when given the temptation to hate or to hold a grudge, that we're, we choose the hard way, and that's to forgive. When we're given a chance, a temptation to be greedy, that we choose generosity. Lord, when we're given an opportunity to think that we just want you to do magic tricks, that we choose, we choose you in all that you are. And Lord, we trust that you will not waste our pain and the difficulties that we do go through, that you will be glorified in them. They make them offerings to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Love the Lord your God. Love your heart. All your strength, all your mind. He has your soul. Give him the rest. He calls you to hard things, but he won't leave you to do hard things alone. He will walk in you, beside you, in front of you, and behind you. But don't settle for less. That's exactly what the evil one wants. And you do not want to do what the evil one wants. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance for you. So look on God's face. And God, the God of the universe, smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.